right, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, uh, Al, being one of the musicians in our midst, who was it that sung the song? Who sung Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Was it the Eagles? To everything turn, turn, turn. No, that would be... There uh, is a season. That would be the turtles, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know if it's the turtles or the eagles or... No, it wouldn't be the eagles. Turtles okay. or the birds. Yeah, the birds. Maybe it was the birds. Anyway, regardless, there was a band in the 60s who sung Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it was one of the most popular songs. It was on, you know, the, the, the top 10 list for, for a long time. And so every time somebody reads Ecclesiastes chapter 3, they automatically think of that song, at least the people that are old enough to remember it. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first eight verses says, For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. That one doesn't sit well with most people. <laughs> a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to discard. A time to tear apart and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So these are just diametrically opposed opposite <laughs> concepts. Usually one's considered positive, the other's considered negative. But there's a time for everything. And when the timing's not right, things can get pretty awkward. Like, I remember when I misread the label on a NyQuil bottle. And I've never been drunk before, but the closest thing that I've got to getting drunk was taking too much NyQuil. And I was watching a movie, and I found myself laughing in the parts I shouldn't be laughing at and being sad in the parts I shouldn't be sad at. It was like a delayed reaction or something, so the timing was all off. And sometimes when you're watching streaming technology, like we have a Roku box, and we'll watch you know, the Roku channel or Tubi or whatever, and sometimes you have to reset the Roku because it'll be like one of these old Chinese, or Chinese films where there's English sub, uh, dubbing, and the lips are moving, and, no, and there's no sound. And then all of a sudden somebody talks, you hear a voice talking, and it's so annoying because it, the timing's not right. It doesn't link up. And so timing is everything. And whether you like it or not, there is a time for war and a time for peace. And whether you like it or not, there's a time, uh, you know, for, for uh, a time to, to, to kill and a time to heal. Uh, there's a time to gather together and there's a time to separate. And a lot of people just want a kumbaya and think everything's fine and let's just all hold hands and be friends and, and let's just all forget about everything and let's just all be honky-dory. But sometimes that's just, it's just not possible. It's just not possible. A, a classic historical example is the Bar Kokhba Revolt. Now, the Bar Kokhba Revolt, there was this guy, his name was General Bar Kokhba, and he was 
urging the Jewish people to fight against their occupiers, against the enemy. And so you had the Jewish people and the Jews who didn't believe that Yeshua was the Messiah and worshiping alongside them and with them in the same synagogues and the same temple were Jewish believers in Messiah Yeshua. So the big thing that happened is you had Rabbi Akiva. He was a very powerful, very influential rabbi. And he's also mentioned in the Talmud, which is one of the uh, big compendiums of Jewish knowledge. And he's still <laughs> talked about and revered even to this day by people in Judaism. So he said, all right, guys, here's General Bar Kokhba. He is the Messiah, and he's going to lead us into battle against the Roman occupation. Now, the believers among them said, uh, uh, wait a second, guys. You know, we're more than willing to fight alongside you against this occupation of the enemy, but General Bar Kokhba is not the Messiah. And therefore, we can't fight beside you under his banner because he's a false Messiah. And the rest of Judaism said, well, fine, you guys are traitors. We don't want you fighting with this anyway. Get out of here. And that's when Judaism split from Messianic Judaism. Now, Sometimes people might say, well, you know what? The believers should have just swallowed it and just should have just shut up and bit their lip and just fought anyway because it was for the greater good. But in doing so, they would have denied the very Messiah that they proclaimed to believe in. There was no possibility for unity at that point because it wasn't the, the believing Jewish people that drew the line in the sand. It was the non-believing Jewish people that set the precedent and drew the line in the sand and said, General Bar Kokhba, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is going to lead us into battle and we're gonna be victorious over the enemy. And the believing Jews said, uh, I don't think so. There's only one Messiah and this guy ain't it. And it highly offended everyone. So. Why is it that God always gives me these controversial messages? <laughs> so when is love not love? I mean, it's tough love. Like I, 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 have, uh, I have a relative who's going through a really uh, a hard time right now, going through a lot of depression and, and everything. And they're saying, oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, I'm so lonely. Oh, I, you know, my health is failing and this, that and the other. And I really want to help my cousin. But really what my, my cousin needs is a good swift kick in the rear to say, get up off your butt, force yourself to go out there and be social. You're lonely because you're secluding yourself at home and expecting people to come to you. You got to go to the people. You know, people would say, well, that's pretty mean. You ought to understand where he's coming from. He's depressed and he's the, no, he needs to, to, to get out of his head and I need to show him a little tough love. So you see where, where that can seem unloving to certain people? Oh, you're being harsh. You're being critical. You should understand more. You should, you should just accept that he's depressed. No, I don't want him to be depressed. I want to kick his butt and, and, and you know, help pull his head out of his rear end so he can get out there and get his life back. So it's called tough love. So when is love not love? Now, something very controversial, and this kind of just blew up on the internet um, about a month or so ago, when a clergyman had a drag queen in his church talking to his kids. And he took a verse in Romans out of context. So the drag queen was there and was talking to the kids, and the kids were asking questions, and then the clergyman said, well, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. 
And then he goes on to interpret Romans 12 2, to say, you know what? The world is hateful. So we're not going to conform to the world and be hateful. We're just going to love and accept everybody and everything. Directly applying it to his guest that was there. That was totally ripping that verse out of context. So basically what he was saying is that, you know, we are just going to love and accept even if the Bible says that it's wrong. Because clearly that clergyman didn't read Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, where it says a man's apparel is not to be on a woman, nor a man is to wear a woman's clothing. For whosoever does these things is detestable to Adonai your God. So it's like he was using one verse to negate another, taking one verse out of context to make the other obsolete. Therefore, trying to bring the church into this worldwide acceptance of what's going on in the world, of, of engaging in the wokeness of society. So, so when is love not love? When it dismisses and accepts what God deems is displeasing and an abomination to him. So when is unity not unity? Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they agree? Pretty logical, right? You have to agree to go in the same direction, to go and do the same thing. <coughs> Amos 3.3, can two walk together unless they agree? Now, 2 Corinthians 6.14, the apostle Paul says, uh, he, he's speaking about not being unequally yoked together. And all the time, this verse is used in context of marriage. Well, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. In other words, if you're a believer, don't marry an unbeliever. And you can apply it to that, but if you read the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul was specifically saying, don't go into business with somebody who's not a believer because their business practices, their business, business ethics, and their morals aren't the same as yours. And there's going to be a clash. There's going to be a conflict of interest when it comes right down to it. And that's the same in the world. We are all believers in Jesus Christ, all believers in Messiah Yeshua. We all accept the Bible as God's rules and instructions and laws for our life. And that's the final authority. It's what we live by. But yet, you know, we want to be good believers. We want to be productive members of society. We want to, you know, uh, make the world a better place as much as possible. And so a lot of people think, well, you just got to go along with the world and unite with the world in order to do that. No, you don't. You can't. Who takes authority? Is it the world in pop culture or is it Jesus Christ in the Bible? Which one is it? It can't be both because they're diametrically opposed. Yeshua said that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And it says that the world will hate you because of me. So if you're a believer, count on at some point in this walk of life being hated by somebody who is in the world. And the scripture continues to tell us and to teach us to be in the world, but not to be of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know that happens through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. So we can't be unequally yoked. So now this is what I've been hearing um, over the past year. I've heard it from the staunch conservatives on the right, and I've heard it from the bleeding heart liberals on the left. We need to have unity. We need to put all this behind us over the past couple years, and we need to be unified. We need just to forget about it and love each other. Sounds good. 
You know, I want to do that if possible. It sounds good, but is it really plausible? Is it plausible or is it possible? Now, I'll tell you one thing. With the events of the, the, of, of the past few years, I can't fellowship with other believers or other po- congregations who decide to bow to Caesar before they bow to Christ. That's where I've had to draw my line. And in the past couple years, we've seen a lot of ministries, a lot of churches show their true colors. They're more afraid of man than they are of God. They're wanting to please the world more than they are wanting to please God. They end up bowing to Caesar before they bow to Christ. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have it both ways. The the, the scriptures also say, Yeshua said himself, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve two different masters. One's got to be control over your life. So there's a call that we should put these recent events behind us and unite and maintain fellowship. And like I said, that sounds good on the surface, but there's some things that are worth breaking fellowship over. (coughs) And I think bowing to another God is one of them, bowing to another authority, but Jesus Christ is definitely one of those things. One of one. Now there's a lot of issues that we're gonna disagree on, but it's not deal breakers, right? So we've got issues such as eschatology, end times. Some of us are pre-tribulation, some are post-tribulation, some are premillennial, some are amillennial, some are Calvinist and, and, and some are Arminianist, but these aren't deal breakers. We can agree to disagree agreeably on those things. It's not a big deal. It's just, it's minors, minor issues. And, you know, we just have a different way of looking at the same thing. So, you know, I'm not talking about that stuff. But what I'm talking about is, for instance, you have denominations that are splitting because of their appointment of LBGTQ plus clergy and deeming such a lifestyle no longer in the category of sin. They're actually changing the interpretation of the plain word of God in order to fit their narrative. So you have, like, for instance, uh, what was it? The Presbyterian denomination and recently the Methodist, I think it was, that there is actually a split because of that decision to ordain LBGTQ plus clergy. Some of them are saying, yeah, we're totally fine with it. And others saying, sorry, we don't agree. That's not the way we see or read the word of God. That's not what God's word says. So they ended up splitting, and now there's two denominations under the same name. One's for, one's against, right? But is that something that's worth breaking fellowship over? I think so, because the word of God is abundantly, absolutely, plainly clear on issues like that. Now, that's not to say that the people are against has a right or permission to hate on the people that are for. That's not the way it works. If I disagree with somebody and I think they're dead wrong on an issue, it doesn't give me the right to harass them, to make fun of them, to belittle them, to to uh, uh, talk them down, to drag their name through the mud, to demonize them, to call them names or whatever. Because ultimately, I'm still supposed to love them even though I disagree with them. And Yeshua gave us the perfect example of that when he was dying on the cross. And he said about the very people who put him there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so the way we bring people into the kingdom is not dismiss their sin, not overlook their sin, 
act like it doesn't exist, but we're to love them into the kingdom. How was the woman at the well brought into the kingdom? I mean, Jesus broke so many cultural protocols over this issue. They were in Samaria, for goodness sake. Jews did not go to Samaria. Samaritans were half-breeds. They acted like they were Jews, but they weren't real Jews. They didn't even accept all of the Bible. They just accept the first five books of Moses. That's it. They didn't believe in the prophets or anything like that. And, you know, they believe worshiping on this mountain is correct, and they think that we who worship in Jerusalem is wrong. So, basically, Samaria was in a place to where it was easy. If you wanted to get from point A to point B, you could go right through Samaria. But no, the Jews would rather take the long way around in order to get where they're going so they could just totally bypass Samaria. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. We're going to go to Samaria. Well, are you, are you sure, Lord? Yeah, I'm sure. And even at one point, there was another occasion, a totally different occasion with Samaritans, where the Samaritans were not accepting Jesus where they were basically speaking against him and his disciples, the brothers, James and John, says, well, Lord, do you want us to call down fire upon these guys and burn them up? Jesus is like, wait, wait, what? What? You don't even know what spirit you're of. You know, just because they're speaking against me, you want to call down fire? I mean, these, these are, I love them. My father created these people. You're just mad at them because they don't agree with you or don't believe the way you do. So back to the woman at the well. First of all, a, a, a Jewish man is not supposed to be by himself with the opposite sex that's not his daughter or mother or wife or close relative. So he's there at the well, and then this strange woman, not just that she's a strange woman, but she is a hussy strange woman. She, she has been married multiple times and lived with guys multiple times and she's not even married and the guy she's living with is not even her husband at the moment so there's a it's all scandalous right so the disciples went into town to get some get a bite to eat he's sitting there by the well so he asked this woman for a drink of water he said whoa wait you're a jew and you're asking me for a drink of water you know so we all know the story and then he finally reveals you know he he uh he kind of blows her mind and uh he says hey go go call your husband well i don't have a husband He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't. You've had so many husbands, and the guy you're with, living with is not even your husband. He's like, oh, my goodness, you must be a prophet. Right? And then he finally reveals that he is the Messiah. So what happens when he reaches out to this woman that is not only religiously ostracized, but she is socially ostracized? Because she wasn't coming early in the morning or late in the evening when the rest of the women were coming to get water in the coolest part of the day. She was coming at high noon, the hottest part of the day, by herself because all the other women wouldn't have anything to do with her because she was such a hussy. So not only was he with a woman, he was with a woman of ill repute. And he didn't say, my goodness, I can't believe what an adulterer you are. You are such a fornicator. You're going to split hell wide open. You better receive me pretty quick, missy. No, he loved her. And as a result, she became the first evangelist of that area of Samaria. And she brought a lot of people to Yeshua because Yeshua reached out to her in love. So with the people that we don't agree with, the people that we must break fellowship with, the people that we cannot unite with, it doesn't mean that we hate them or demonize them or talk bad about them. We love them, and we hopefully, God will show us a way that we can open their eyes to where they can see the error of their ways. And if not, then so be it. 
but we can't fellowship. Because what fellowship has light with darkness, the scripture says? How can I fellowship with believers or a congregation that if I go and the whole world goes upside down crazy again, they're going to say, oh, we're going to do whatever we're told. We're, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're scared. And it's like, sorry, I can't play that game. I'm sorry. I love you, but I, I can't. You know, we, we, we don't have common ground. We, we still have Jesus as our Savior, but we have something that we have to break fellowship over. And I know this is highly controversial because everybody wants me to say, oh, let's just unite and get along and love and forgive each other. I can forgive people, but because I forgive somebody doesn't mean that I have to be buddy-buddy with them. I've forgiven people who have abused me in my past, but that doesn't mean I send them a friend request on Facebook and say, hey, let's go out for coffee because I know they're just going to do it again because they have, not, uh, they have not received the forgiveness of the Lord. They haven't changed their ways. Jacob, perfect example. He was scared out of his pants when you know he's leaving Laban. He's on the run from Laban. And then all of a sudden, he gets a word saying, hey, we just saw your brother Esau. He's coming with 400 men. Oh, crap. So he splits his family up because he thinks that Esau is going to come and wipe them all out. Because after all, Esau was supposed to get the blessing. Esau was supposed to get the birthright. But Esau sold his birthright. And he was never supposed to get the blessing in the first place because God already prophesied that the older would serve the younger. So Jacob comes in all humility. Sends Esau all these gifts to kind of pacify him. So it looks like there's a good family reunion. You know, Esau's like, well, what's, what's all these droves of animals that I've seen? Oh, they're yours, Esau, from your servant Jacob. I want you to, I want to find favor in your eyes. Oh, no, brother, don't worry about it. I've got plenty. No, 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 I insist. If I have found favor in your eyes, keep them. Okay, okay, fine, I'll keep them. Right? So they hug, and they cry on each other's neck for a while. And then Esau says, hey, why don't you come back to Seir with me? Does Jacob go? No, he goes in the opposite direction to Sukkot. Why? Because he fully didn't trust that Esau was sincere. Esau hadn't proven himself. It might have been a good family reunion, maybe <laughs> patched up a few things, but he ultimately didn't trust Esau because Esau says, well, why don't I leave a couple men with you? No, 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 Let's go. let me go at my own pace. So something was fishy going on. He forgave Esau. But he wasn't friends with him again. He didn't let him back into his life because he knew that Esau was toxic. He knew that Esau was going to, you know, kind of stab him in the back eventually. And so he went in the total opposite direction. So he still loved Esau. He forgave Esau. But he said, I can't be unified with Esau. I can't have a relationship with Esau. So that's kind of the same thing with us. So um, not only that, but let's, let's talk about what happened this past November 12th where you had the major leaders of the leftist side of religion. You had the leftist Jews, the leftist Muslims, the leftist Christians, and the leftist Hindus and Buddhists and everybody else. And they went to the fake false Mount Sinai because Sinai is not in the Sinai Peninsula. Paul said Sinai is in Arabia. So they didn't even go to the right Sinai. But they said, you know what, we're going to totally rewrite the Ten Commandments. And I actually read them, and I thought they would be a little bit more ominous and threatening. They're so flippin' vague. They're, 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 they're nothing but like fortune It's something you'd get out of a fortune cookie. 
You know, so I'm not really scared about what they did. And then they symbolically took the Ten Commandments of God and broke them and said, now we have these new Ten Commandments. Can I be unified with them just because they're Muslims, Christians, and Jews all getting along? No, because they, they're, they're totally disregarding the Word of God, thinking they can rewrite the Scriptures themselves. I'm not going to follow along with some earth-worshipping, Gaia-worshipping, <laughs> environmentally-friendly Ten Commandments. Not going to happen. So I can't be unified with them. Can I be unified with the World Economic Forum? Can I be unified with the UN? Can I be unified with all these government agencies that say that they want to take everything away from us and we're going to be happy as a result? No! Somebody who wants to take away my religious and civil liberties and freedoms, I cannot be united with just to get along with the whole world. Doesn't mean I want to make war with the world or fight with the world either. Just let me live my life and leave me alone. Let me just be me. Right? So there's things that are worth breaking fellowship over. So folks will leave a denomination um because they disagree with them but it doesn't mean that they no longer love their erring denomination or the people in it but it certainly means that one can no longer fellowship and or minister with so i mean how would it look if i was ministering side by side with one of these woke versions of christianity at some sort of conference it wouldn't look very good on me because it would look like that i was agreeing with them because i was ministering along with them so it's like there's certain things that, you, that you're willing to break fellowship over. Now, I've told this story before. I've got a buddy in Illinois whose church is going woke. They're having this Bible study on Wednesday night or something like that, and they're going through a book called Where the Church Got It Wrong. And they're trying to you know, promote evolution. They're trying to, mo to, to promote all these other woke ideologies and saying that the church got it wrong. And my friend has been reading the book, and he's been boning up on his information. He's been coming and challenging that guy. He says, no, 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 no. That may be what your book says, but my book, the Bible, says this. And he's challenging him. Now, it's not to say that he's going to win this fight or change that church, but at least he is not silent because silent is consent. And at least he is voicing his – and what he found out is there were other people who believe the same way he does but was, a, but was afraid to speak out says, well, wow, we kind of feel like you're our spokesman. Thank you so much for speaking out. Now, there may come a point if this minister doesn't repent of his wokeism that my friend and his wife are going to have to leave that church. Doesn't mean that he hates that minister or hates that church or the people in it, but they can no longer fellowship because they are unequally yoked. There's irreconcilable differences. You know how some people get divorced and the reason for it is irreconcilable differences? Well, sometimes you have to divorce yourself from a ministry or a church or a denomination because there's some irreconcilable differences. There's a lot of people leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because they, they too, are beginning to, to uh, accept uh, you know, the LBGTQ movement and, and the ordination of, of such groups in their denomination, which they can't do. So, you know, people are starting to leave. So there's certain things that are worth breaking fellowship over. So, you know, we can kind of say the same things with us Protestants who do not accept Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Can I go to a Jehovah's Witness church? No, because they don't believe the same thing on, on the cardinal doctrines that I do. You know, they believe that, I think they, they're the ones who believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. 
And the Mormons, they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. <laughs> I can't go to their church or fellowship with them even though they claim the moniker Christian. Just because they're Christian doesn't mean they're Christian because they don't follow the cardinal doctrines and rules of the faith. Now, I love them, but I'm not going to wish them well when they go out knocking on doors and handing out their tracts or literature. I'm not going to accept their literature. I'm not going to accept them in my house to talk to me about their faith. And I'm not going to minister alongside them in some sort of you know, ecumenical convention. But it doesn't mean that I hate them or I'm going to talk bad or nasty about them. I love them, and hopefully through the scriptures we'll be able to show them th that their doctrine is wrong. Because they are considered cults. Because they don't follow the, the cardinal, non-negotiable beliefs of the Christian faith. So what I'm talking about would be no different than us not fellowshipping with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. We can certainly love folks like that, but we can't fellowship or engage ministerially with them in their endeavors. And so I want to read a, another passage from uh, 2 John chapter 1. That's 1 John. Here we go. 2 John chapter 1, starting at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Yeshua as Messiah coming in human flesh. So there was a movement way back in the day called Gnosticism. They believed that everything physical and material was evil. And therefore, they didn't believe that Jesus came in a real, bona fide human body. It was just an illusion. Well, if that's the case, then how can some illusion physically die for our sins and redeem us? So, there, you know, it, it's a movement back then. So it says, those who do not acknowledge Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, coming in human flesh, this one is a deceiver and is an anti-Messiah, is an antichrist. Watch yourself so you do not lose what you have worked, uh, what you have worked for, but, uh, but receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not remain in Messiah's teaching does not have God. Anyone who remains in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not welcome him in your home. So that's why I said I don't allow Jehovah's Witnesses who come to my door or Mormons who come to my door to come into my home. The Bible tells me not to. Not because I want to be inhospitable. I don't want to give them a platform. I don't even want to give them false hope that I might even might sort of kind of consider what they're saying. So it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not welcome him into your home or give him a greeting. In other words, hey, best of luck to you, or I wish you well. Not that we want to wish bad on them, but we don't want them to have success in their endeavors because they're teaching falsehood. They're teaching anti-biblical uh, doctrine. For the one greeting him shares in his evil deed. So it's like, you know, you're just, it's a platitude, but you're still kind of agreeing. Um, and then in verses, uh, let's see. Okay, yep, all right, there we go. Read that. Let me give you another example from history. And let's relate this to what has happened over the past couple years. I'm being careful of what I say because I'm going to be uploading this and I don't want this to be taken down uh, or what have you. But all my people listening, I know you're smart. I know you, you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to beat a dead dog here, but we do have people 
that are saying we need to forgive each other. We need to, yeah, we need to forgive each other. We need to have unity and we need to forget the past and put it all behind us. How can I put the past behind me when if the past comes to repeat itself, they're going to do the exact same thing again? Because a few years ago, because of my personal stance and decision on religious and civil freedom and the personal autonomy of my body, I was, I was demonized. I was not welcome. And that's not right. Now, to me, if somebody else wants to make a decision to put something in their body or to wear something on their face, I don't care. It's not going to bother me any. I'm still going to love them. I may disagree with them, but I would like the same kind of respect in return. So here's a historical example. After the Civil War, we all know what the Civil War was about. I mean, it was about a lot of things, but we mostly remember the Civil War was the fight against slavery. So we know that the Bible is against the type of slavery that was going on during that time, where other human beings of other ethnicities from other parts of the world were considered subhuman, less human, not even human. And we were able to treat them as we would a workhorse or a donkey or whatever. And that was wrong. And I mean, I know people have a, 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 a big conundrum about this because the Bible talks about slavery. But the slavery back then in the Bible was not the same kind of slavery we're talking about today. Because the slavery was more indentured servitude. And they were treating them like hired hands, like a part of the family. They were not treating them with whips and, you know, beating them and treating them like subhuman and depriving them of food, clothing and shelter and whatnot. And I mean, the Bible was totally revolutionary in this realm of slavery. It was the only faith and the only document of scripture, religious scripture, that said, you know what? If you, if you let a slave go, you got to give him a departing package. You got to give him a severance package. Give him something that he can start a life on. So it gave slaves rights. It gave women rights. Do you know if, if a, a slave master got mad at his slave and decked him and knocked out his tooth, he automatically had to let his servant go as because he knocked his tooth out? That was just a way to get people who own slave to say, hey, treat them like human beings. Treat them like you would a hired hand. Treat them like you would a part of the family. The Bible went so far as to say, if your brother, your fellow Israelite, is poor and destitute, and he has to sell himself into slavery in order to pay off his debt, I would rather you buy him than a foreigner buy him because you're going to treat him like a brother. Whereas if he if he's uh, bought by some kind of pagan, he would be treated as a subhuman. So we can basically all say that the, the slavery that was going on during the time of the Civil War, the Bible was against the Bible spoke against it, taught against it. So we know that there were people during the Civil War who owned slaves, who agreed with slavery who called themselves Christians, who went to churches, and they were slave owners. We also know that these are the ones who didn't think that they were fully human or even redeemable or even able to be saved. They were the ones that beat them and whipped them and treated them harshly, subhuman. So after the Civil War, the body of Christ was divided, and the church was in shambles over the issue of slavery. However, the clergy and believers and churches who stood against, preached against, and even went to war over slavery did not, after the war, reconcile or fellowship with churches or believers who continued to condone slavery, 
and failed to see uh, other ethnicities as less human. This was an issue worth breaking fellowship over. They didn't say after the Civil War, well, let's just put this whole Civil War behind us. And I know you still agree with slavery. Hey, you, I know you even own slaves, even though you're not supposed to. But you know what? That's okay. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're just going to forgive and forget, and we're just going to be all one big happy family and just sing around the campfire, kumbaya. No, that would make the whole war a farce. That would make the whole reason they fought for the slaves' freedom, it would be a slap in the face to that. They said, look, we love you, and we totally disagree with you, but because if you think that these people are not even human, because you think it's okay to own another human being, because you think it's okay to whip and beat them, you may call yourself a Christian, and you may go to a church, but we can't go to your church, and we can't fellowship with you. We can't minister with you, because what you believe and what you practice is anti-biblical. It is wrong. So are you seeing the parallels between today, what happened over the past couple of years, and what happened during the Civil War? To me, it's one and the same. Just because I didn't do a certain thing in the past couple of years, it was as if I was a different ethnicity that people rejected because I wasn't allowed to go to certain places. I wasn't allowed to tend certain things. You see what I'm saying? So... Eventually, either, either the slave favorable Christians and churches either did one of two things. Either they repented and they were brought back into fellowship with the Christian churches in existence at that time, or they remained in their error and they eventually died out. And they just no longer existed. So that's one of the two things that are going to happen is that there are either people are going to wake up and they're going to repent and we're going to be able to fellowship with certain churches and certain people again or they're going to continue to bow to caesar continue to bow to the state and eventually when the antichrist comes when the one world government comes they're going to be one of these woke churches that are part of the beast system because they decided to bow to caesar instead of christ you see how serious this issue is and if we compromise on it now i'm sure i'm probably going to get a lot of criticism over this message by certain people who listen to it and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna apologize for it because this is a make or break issue. Because if I begin to accept and fellowship with believers and churches who are on the other side of the issue in the past couple years, those are the ones that are bowing to Caesar. Those are the ones that when the pressure and the screws are put to them, they will do whatever it takes to keep the doors open and, and even compromise their faith. They say they won't, but they've already proven they will. Because everything we've experienced up to this point is a dry run for the mark of the beast. It's a dry run for a new world order. It's a dry run for the Antichrist. And if you can't stand firm here and now, you will not stand firm when the real deal comes. Because you've already been compromised, you haven't done your homework, and you're already bowing to Caesar because you fear man more than you fear God. And again, I want to emphasize, we still need to love these people, but I'm not going to go out on visitation with them. We still need to love these people, but I'm not going to go to, to one of their churches. We still need to love these people, but I'm not going to go minister beside them. Because this is, to me, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that's worthy of breaking ministerial fellowship with. I'll still go out to maybe for a coffee with them, 
I still may, you know, hang out with them or go to their house or whatever. But when it comes to religious things, there's no common ground here. And, 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 and it's sad that we've come to this point. But what the Lord brought to my mind is this is no different than what happened during the Civil War. And after the Civil War, not everybody made peace and everything was nice. These Christians in these churches that still condone slavery, they were left out of the major body of Christ. And either they saw the error of their ways, repented, and was brought back in, or they just ended up dying out as dinosaurs because the majority of the people at that time started following the, the scriptural, what the scripture says regarding slavery. So I hope that makes sense to you. But it's a, it's a pertinent issue because I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people saying we need to forgive and forget. We need to have unity. Sounds beautiful. Sounds nice on the surface. But what did we read in Ecclesiastes? There is a time for that. And this is not one of those times for that because I do not want to compromise. I'm going to bow to Christ before I bow to anybody else or anything else. And it doesn't mean that I'm a jerk. It doesn't mean that I don't love the other person. It doesn't mean that I'm going to treat them bad, but it's like, sorry, I just can't agree with you on this issue. So we're going to have, there's, yes, there's healing that needs to take place. Yes, there's issues that need to be dealt with. But the other party has to be willing to talk about it instead of being so staunch and so unforgiving and so on the issue. All right, let's pray. Well, afterwards, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, this is a very scary time to be living in. And it's very unpopular to stand up for what's right and to stand up for the truth, to stand up for our civil liberties and our religious rights and, and religious liberties. <coughs> and Lord, I know it's unpopular. I know that the majority of the world wants to be woke. But Lord, I've already, I woke up. I woke up when I was six years old. When I knew that if I would die that night, I would die and split hell wide open. I knew, I woke up at the age of six knowing that I needed to accept Yeshua the Messiah as my Lord and Savior. Or hell would be my eternal home. That's when I woke up. And I don't need to be any more woke than I am right now because it's the word of God that enlightens me, not man's philosophy, not pop culture, not what this politician says, not what this religious guru says, not what this celebrity says. And I don't care what the world deems is okay. I don't care what the world deems is right. My final authority on every issue of life is found in the scriptures, found in the word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, I can't agree with it. I can't go along with it. And there are many people since the first century, even up to today in North Korea, Saudi Arabia, China, who are dying because they're being martyred because they are standing on the scriptures as the sole basis of their faith and practice and how they live their life. And they will not bend, they will not back down, they will not recant, they will not relent. Because Lord, you are my King. You are my Lord and Savior. And your kingdom is not of this world. My citizenship is not as where I'm just an alien and a stranger walking around on this planet until you come and take me home, till you come and redeem it and set your kingdom up here on earth. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So until then, Lord, give us your people wisdom to do the right thing, 
and not to get our heartstrings tugged and our emotions manipulated to where we end up doing the wrong thing, but doing the right thing according to your word. Because it's about faith. It's not about feelings. And everybody now lives their life by their feelings. I want to know what I don't want. I don't want to know my truth or your truth or his truth or her truth. I want to know the truth, the one and only truth, which is your word. And Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.